Well, it's good to see all of you here today. Um, Rod and I have been working together now, I think, in the two churches that we've worked at, because Rod and I, Rod's right over there, for those of you who don't know him, um, I think we've been working together for 18 years now. And in those 18 years, uh, we have prepared for the same Sunday like three times. It just so happened that this is one of those Sundays where we both prepared a sermon because the schedule got mixed up. Um, and Rod said, so, hey, Eric, can I give you my slideshow for the sermon? And I said, why? Because you're not preaching. I am. He said, oh, no, the schedule says I'm preaching. He was looking at an old schedule. And he said, but my slideshow is really beautiful. And I said, well, mine's kind of beautiful too. And so we went in the back room and we powwowed and we said, well, why don't we just smash these sermons together and the people will just get what they get because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So he's going to do something with us. So I'm doing the beginning. You won't know what the end of my sermon was like. Um, he's doing the end. You won't know what the beginning of his sermon was like. So we're going to do a little tag team here. So if you don't know, we are in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Um, so I don't want to start in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. I want to start in Galatians 5, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn or you can just follow with me. I would like to read it to you. It, is, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the key verse of Galatians. We've been going through this book of Galatians where Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, has written this letter to these churches in Galatia. And the thing that he's just so set on is making sure that the church is free. Right? And what's happening there, really, and what Paul's concerned with, is that they hold on to the idea that they are not made right by what they do. And that their identity in Christ has nothing to, has no connection to what they do. That you and I and these Galatians are made right by our faith in Christ, not by what we do. But what's happened in the early church is that there are two communities. As we've been following these two communities, you have one Hebrew community, Jewish community, who's recognized Jesus. But they have a long history with God, and they have all of these outward identity things that say they're followers of God, like the Sabbath rules, like when you keep the Sabbath, the, the Lord's Day, what kind of foods you eat. But the really hard one is circumcision. But the other group of the, in the church are these Greeks and, they're in, and these uh, Romans, and they're just jumping in with Jesus, and they're like, we're free, we're free. And the Hebrews are like, yes, it's great that you found Jesus. But if you really, really want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to do these things, right? You need to do these things. And what happens is when, when that kind of enters in, that thing enters in is that the yoke of slavery begins to bore down on people. And the thing that the yoke of slavery is, is a hopelessness, right? When you are a slave, you are hopeless. You feel like you have no hope. Now, as I talk to people, you guys, people, and other people outside of our community, 
the thing that I end up bumping into, and I bump into this when I look at myself in the morning in the mirror, is that there is an underlying feeling of hopelessness in my life because I feel burdened in so many different ways, and those burdens feel overwhelming to me. And when I listen to other people, the thing that I run into over and over again is this loss of hope with our burdens. It's as if so many of us are carrying these boulders around and we just, we can't move. And we feel like there's no way to get out of it, right? And if that's not the issue, then the real issue that we wrestle with is just that deep down inside of us, we're pretty sure that we can't get it right, right? And this is what Paul wants to say, no, 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 don't get burdened by this. I want you to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to stand firm. Now, is there anybody, how many of you have done martial arts? Okay. Now, how many of you, is there any of you here who was taught how to stand so that you are connected to the ground, and your sensei cannot push you over. All right. So, Jeff, would you be willing to come up here and demonstrate this? All right. Give the man a hand. Because I want you to have this visual picture. Okay. In Taekwondo. Okay. Okay. So, and I give him a nice, yeah, see, nice, oh, we don't want to push him over. (laughs) Right. Thank you for the example. Give him a hand. In martial arts, a lot of different types of forms have these stances where you root yourself into the ground so that you cannot be pushed over. And when Paul is saying to the Galatians, I want you to stand firm, what he, that's the picture he wants you to have, I think, is that he wants you to root yourself into something so firmly that you can't be pushed away from it. So when you're so firmly rooted in your freedom, then you have hope. When you are pushed over, you become hopeless, or you feel hopeless. You feel burdened. Here's what I think happens. Here's why you and I end up getting pushed over. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The whole time that Paul has been talking about this stuff, and especially in chapter 5, that he starts this, you know, I want you to stand firm in freedom. What he is saying is, it's like he's saying, look, the only way you're going to stand firm is if you are in line with the Spirit. And so last week, Julie talked a little bit about this idea that when you become a follower of Jesus and you begin to follow him, the Holy, you're given the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. And so you know you're a follower of Jesus when there's this conflict inside of you, where you have the Spirit of God, the new nature, and you have the old nature or the old man wrestling with each other, right? There's a definite conflict. And what Paul is saying is the only way that you're not going to be burdened is when you root yourself in to what the Spirit is doing when you are in step with the Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we... How are we to be in step with the Spirit? And how do we kind of know when we're out of step with the Spirit? Well, let me give you three things that the Spirit does, because I think this is key when it comes to us standing firm, when it comes to us having hope. 
So the first thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit reminds us. Right? The Spirit reminds us of what Jesus is saying and what Jesus has said. So this is how this works. And I think this is really important. There are, there are basically two ways that this works. Number one, I think the way that you and I are able to root into the Holy Spirit and be in step with the Holy Spirit is to show up into God's community and begin to have the Word spoken over you and the Word sung over you and the Word prayed over you and for you to discuss the Word with one another. That One of the number one ways that the Holy Spirit activates the words of Jesus in you is when you gather with His people and you hang out with His people and the Word is spoken over you. And a lot of times, you will be reminded not of necessarily what the preacher is talking about, but a whole bunch of other things. Because there's something extremely divine when God's church gathers that happens in you and I. And we are reminded of what the Spirit, what Jesus is saying by the Holy Spirit. And we become rooted in our freedom. Right? When we begin to leave the church, when we begin to not gather with God's people, what happens is we end up having trouble hearing the Holy Spirit. The second way, and is very key, is that it is important not just to be as a group to hear the Holy Spirit, but it is actually immersing yourself in the Gospels. Okay? It's not just reading the whole Scriptures. It's actually immersing yourself in the Gospels. The Gospels are Jesus' story. You want to be reminded of what Jesus says? Then you need to be living out Jesus' story by reading it. Having it be something you breathe and eat and drink of. It's the thing that you just kind of pour into yourself. Yes, I think the rest of the Bible is important, but I think the Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus says when we're immersed in what Jesus says. Right? The second thing the Spirit does out of the Gospel of John tells us in 16.13 is that He guides us. Right? He guides us. And here's how that works. You and I most often come to, to our struggles and our problems in life asking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this problem? We are always trying to fix our problems. But when we're attuned to the Holy Spirit, the question that we're actually asking is, what is the Spirit doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Not what am I going to do, but what is the Holy Spirit going to do? When we ask constantly, what am I going to do? It deafens us to hearing the Spirit, right? We don't hear the Spirit because we're constantly asking, how am I going to do this? Instead of what is the Spirit doing and how do I join Him? The third one that the gospel Jesus kind of offers us in the Gospel of John of what the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The way that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and the way, the way that we are able to be in step with the Spirit is not just is to acknowledge the battle that Julie was talking about last week. That there is a battle in us and that we are definitely prone to walk away from Jesus. So part of being able to walk in the Spirit and root ourselves in the Holy Spirit so that we can hang on to our freedom is being able to say, look, I am messed up. I am screwed up. I am constantly walking away from 
Jesus, here's how it is. I need forgiveness. I need what Christ has done on the cross. Right? So if we want to hang on to our freedom, the number one, we have to gather with Jesus' people so that we can be reminded. Number two, we need to be asking, okay, what is the Spirit doing, not what do I need to do? And number three, we need to say, yes, I am a sinner. Here's where it is. And honesty about that will keep us in step with the Spirit. So, Paul says we're supposed to be in step with the Spirit. But then in verse 26, 26, he says, all right, so let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And the reason I kind of went back to 25 and 26 is I think chapter 6 should start at verse 25 of chapter 5. But Paul is saying, okay, you need to be in step with the Spirit, and here are some things you need to do. Now this whole book, Galatians, has been about that there isn't things you have to do, right? That you don't need to do anything. But here's the thing. The thing that Paul is really concerned about is for you to know that what you do does not earn you salvation. What you do does not earn you salvation. What you do does not get you into the kingdom of God. But as you step into the kingdom of God, effort is valued, right? Think about it this way. My son and daughter are born into our family, they're always going to be son and daughter. If they do the dishes or don't do the dishes. If they're nice to each other or not nice to each other. If they clean the house or don't clean the house. If they get good grades or don't get good grades. If they're rebellious or not rebellious. They're still my children. There is nothing they can do to not be my children. But the harmony and peace and growth of my family is transformed when they put effort into being my children. Right? They grow, we grow, there's a harmony to things, right? Effort is important. Without effort, there's no transformation, right? And so Paul's saying, okay, so here's some important things as we're about to head into Galatians chapter 6 where we're going to talk about what it looks like to be in community. He says, number one, you can't be conceited. Let us not become conceited. Well, for this Greek word, this word conceited, it's not the Greek word. It's just the best English word we have. Old English translations say vainglory. Okay? But even that is not a good word. Really what this word means is, for the Greek word means, let us not become people who steal other people's praise because we have fragile egos. Right? Let us not become people who are stealing everybody else's honor because we have fragile egos. So let's not do that. Number two, let's not provoke people. Now when you provoke someone, you get something out of it, right? So let's not become people who make other people angry so that you can get a response. And he says, well, let's not become people who are envying. These three things really fit this idea okay because all three of those things are just selfish words and so they kind of are this motto your life for my life right if you're conceited or you provoke or you're envying what you're saying is whatever you have whatever is about you you give it to me so i can live right you give it to me 
so I can live. But in 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid his life down for us and that we should do the same. Eric's paraphrase. The motto of the kingdom of God, and this is by Paul saying, let's not be conceited, let's not provoke, let's not envy. The motto is, Christ died for me, so Christ's life for me, my life for you. Christ's life for us, our lives for one another. And Paul's saying, if that we can't step away from that if we're going to live in community that's growing and that is free if we go into helping one another with the motto of your life for mine. Now think about this. When, when you're in the, the heated you know, moment of parenting, or just being a parent, like, you know this, the idea that if your thing is with your child, your life for mine, that's going to be a miserable parenting experience. Parents have to say to their children, my life for yours. Right? If you're in a marriage, I guarantee you if you're in an argument, at least one of you is saying, my life, your life for me. Like, you do what I want, you meet, you know, I, what I want or this is not going well. Your life for me. If you want a marriage that's growing, then you have to have two people who are saying, Christ's life for me, my life for you. Right? And so this is the thing that Paul wants us to kind of stand in because walking with one another in community is messy. And holding on to our freedom and not getting bogged down in all the rules and having our identity caught up in what we do it's difficult. And so, we step into our passage. Paul wants to talk to us about what it means to kind of walk alongside each other in burdens that we share. So, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin. Now, I want to just kind of illustrate this caught thing. This is my daughter when she was little and she hates this picture. Oh, But here's the story behind this picture. Some adult wandered into Ashton and Anna's bedroom and they had gotten the baby powder. And they had dumped the baby powder all over them, dumped the baby powder all over the floor. And so when the adult walked in, they were caught. And I love this example is because there is no way for them to get out of it. They are caught. There, there she is. This is, this is what Paul is saying. is When someone is caught with the baby powder on them. Whoops. When someone is caught in sin. But we need to quickly talk about this idea of sin before Rod comes up here. This is not the word for sin that all of us are used to and you hear me preach about a lot where I say, well, the word in the Greek means, you know, missing the mark. It's an archery term. Now, this isn't the word. This is the word where we often get translated trespasses, okay? Like in the Lord's Prayer, you know, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a more specific one and this is kind of what it means. It means that. It has this idea that you and I are actually on the right path. 
we're following the Holy Spirit. We're being reminded of what Jesus says. We're asking the right questions. We're confessing our sin. We're rooted in our freedom in the Holy Spirit. And then we're caught wandering. We're caught being the four-year-old. We let go of mom's hand and we just wander off the path. Right? We're off looking. We don't have a direction or an intention. We've just wandered off the path. Right? We are caught wandering. Okay? The second one is slip. Right? It's this idea that here we're walking along, following the Holy Spirit, and we look down and we slip. It's kind of that story of Peter, right? I don't know if you know this story, but Peter and the apostles are in a boat. You know, things are going crazy. It's a storm. Jesus isn't with him. They see Jesus. Everybody thinks it's a ghost. But Peter says, hey, if you really are Jesus, let me come out to you. And he says, sure, come on out. And so Peter gets out on the water and he's going and he's walking on water. And then he looks down and he goes, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water. And down he goes. So this is the idea that you're caught slipping. Like that you really have the faith. And often this is caught in the moment when you really take a leap of faith in your life. And when you take a, leap of, uh, you know, take a leap of faith in your life, often there are great opportunities to slip. Right? This last one, before Rod comes up here, because I want to draw this picture before he begins to talk about things, is the face plant. So you're doing it. You're walking along with the Holy Spirit. You've got the reminder. You're, you're asking the right questions. You're confessing your sins. And it's kind of like me in my freshman basketball year. I'm out on the court in a game. This happened to me twice. I'm running at a fast break. I'm on the wing. The point guard's got the ball. It's a two-on-one fast break. I'm like, yes, I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to score. And boom, I literally go flat on my face in front of everybody. Happened to me twice. You know why? Because I'd already planned out my victory kind of, you know, run back to defense before I ever even caught the ball, right? And so this face plant spiritually is you're like, yes, I've got it, I've got it. There's kind of an obliviousness to everything. And boom, you hit your face on the path. And you're caught. And with that, I'm going to switch over to Rod. And he can use my mic. That was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Only I would have said it better. <laughs> the... Uh, passage goes on and I'll just read the rest of it. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own, their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each of you, each one should carry their own load. I, I love that Paul is really deeply aware of his sin. Romans seven eighteen through 19, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. <laughs> nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Isn't that amazing? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Paul hates his sin. He despises it. He's frustrated by it. He doesn't like it. Um, and he's come to the realization that there's not some way around that problem. And so he he recognizes that what that reminder does for him is drive him to his knees. It drives him into a deeper intimacy with Jesus. It drives him to the gospel. I love that. This this passage is talking about this recognition that we live in this sin and we live in this sin state and that that's problematic for us. Um, it's and and that we can't you know there's not a how to be sin-free um, in seven easy lessons or something like that. It's not going to work. And so um, we recognize that we're in this state. And then what Eric was talking about, this kind of being surprised by sin, we're, we're sort of shocked, like we, we should know better, right? Uh, matter of fact, this is a great illustration, which I hadn't planned. But, you know, when I was in school, I was a kid, they, they, the teacher just said, if Rod would just pay attention, if he would just read the stuff, if he would just get it right, um, he's really smart and he could accomplish great things, except he's staring out the window and he forgets to read important things, like sermon schedules, right? And, and gets them right. And I'm close, but I don't get it right. And it's so frustrating. And then you just fall on your face and you look stupid and, ugh, I hate that, right? And so, and so Paul's saying, we're all in that boat. Everyone who follows Jesus is in that boat. It's not like just he is or just some people are. We're all in that boat. And so when we see each other, and this is where the community comes in, when we see each other in this pro- with this problem, we practice what he's calling uh, restoration, restoring gently, gentle restoration. It's taking that which is not right and making it right. I have a watch that I got in 1974 um, and uh, when Kathy and I were married. And, and I wore it every day for 40 years. And, and then it fell apart. And, and so I brought it in to get it restored. And, and the guy said, well, the pieces are broken and... You better send it off, and oh, uh, they can't find any pieces like that anymore, and and, uh, and so it's frustrating, right? Because 
it's a it was a lovely watch it was an amazing watch it was a seiko it was an expensive watch it, it was really cool and now i can't ever wear it so i got a cheap timex instead um but I long for that to be restored, and that's where we are. When we walk with Jesus, we don't want to stay where we are. We, we, we get caught in sin, but we want to be restored, and we're all in that boat. If I could just get it right, right? Uh, if I could just have it be made right, it won't be. But we love each other, and as followers of Jesus, in our love for each other, we try to encourage each other and to be restored, to be restored is to be made the way you were supposed to be. This, wa- these, this watch was dirty and screwed up and messed up and doesn't work right, and then it's made the way it's supposed to be. And so that's God's primary job in our lives, obviously, but he calls us to join him in that. But he, you notice he says, those who are spiritual. It's not just anyone that should do this. If you're not in tune with the Spirit, if you're not marching with the Spirit like Eric was talking about, if you're not, if you're not following in the way of the Spirit, if you're just following in the way of the flesh, then, then it, the job's not for you. What happens is when we try to restore people in the flesh, uh, we begin to deal with anger, right? Our anger. It's one of the ways you can find out whether you're walking in flesh or walking in the Spirit. Are you angry that somebody f- slipped and fell? Are you kind of irritated with them? I've been working with them. I knew they were going to do that again. Do you get frustrated? That's flesh. That's not, that's not spirit. Uh, do you have a little pride in you? I, I do really well. Uh, too bad that they're not as good as I am. Pride. That's, that's the way of flesh. Power. Having control. Demanding things of people. Those are often, if those are your responses, those are responses of the flesh. They're not responses of the Spirit. Restoring in the Spirit, restoring people in the Spirit is the opposite of those things. Instead of anger, it's love and appreciation and care, tenderness. Restoring people in the Spirit is about humility, not pride. A humility that understands that I'm in the same boat. I'm in that same place. And it comes not out of power, but out of weakness. Recognizing that we are weak. So we're called to restore, to be a part of that process. And then to watch yourself. I always love this um, because grammatically I always try to figure out what that looks like, you know. How do you watch yourself? Because even if you look in a mirror, I'm enough of a scientist that knows that you're seeing the inverse image, whatever, how, how does, you're the scientist. Anyway, you're not actually seeing yourself, you're seeing a, uh, a reflection. What? Yes, and so, so how do you keep an eye on yourself, right? So Paul's saying keep an eye on yourself, um, and this is Blaze, our cat, and Blaze is a water starer. He loves to stare at the water. He goes up to his water dish and he just stares at it for like an hour. And he just stares at it. And he just looks. He doesn't drink. He, doesn't, he just looks. He's a water starer. He watches. And I couldn't figure out what he did. And you know what? That dumb cat is looking at his reflection. <laughs> and he sits there and looks at his reflection. He's looking deep into himself. I don't know. 
I don't know what cats think when they do that, but, but I know what we do. What we're, what we're called to do is to watch ourselves, to, to look into ourselves, examine ourselves, examine our own lives. Um, Paul's saying, be on guard so you don't fall also. Be on guard because you're just this far away from slipping and falling. I, I always love people who, who are going to, like, when I worked at Teen Challenge, you know, these guys would, they'd been alcoholics or drug addicts, and, and then, you know, they said, well, now that I'm okay, I'm going to go in and rescue people in bars. Eh, um, maybe that's not a good idea starting out, right? Um, but I'm free now. Yeah. Um, watch yourself, right? Watch yourself. Don't place yourself in places where you too can slip and fall, where you too can go, oops, um, that was, a, and do a face plant, right? Um, happens all the time. And then Paul's invitation is that we uh, carry burdens, carry each other's burdens. That's, that's what Paul's saying. He says, he says, this is a community thing. Don't try to deal with your stuff all by yourself. When you face plant, when you slip, when, when you fall, you can't do this by yourself. You're in a community for a reason. This is, this is the highlight of Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you ever go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, you have to take in the sights. That's it. It's called a fish ladder. See, Grand Rapids is called Grand Rapids because they have water flowing through it, and, and there's rapids there. And so what happens is salmon would make their way up the river, but then when Grand Rapids decided to put dam, a dam in, they put like this eight-foot dam in, and guess what? The salmon can't jump eight feet. So they put in a fish ladder. And see how that works? It's like little steps. And then, so the salmon, you go stand there and watch it. It's really fun. Um, and the, the salmon kind of jumps the first step, and then it swims and maybe gets washed back. And then it jumps up again, and then it jumps up again. and Eventually, it climbs the eight-foot dam on the fish ladder. You're going, well, Rod, that's great, but really, what does that have to do with anything, right? Well, what happens is, we're sharing our burdens. That doesn't mean that you carry the other person's burden. It doesn't mean you pick the salmon up and throw them over the, over the dam and get them up on the other side. You help. You walk with. You help by doing what you can to get the salmon up the river, but it's not like just heaving the salmon over the dam. It's creating the space so that the person who you're dealing with, who you're helping, you can help carry their burdens. The burden is to get over the dam. The burden is to get past this painful place. You help. You don't do it for. So many of us have that helper mentality and we want to fix people. That's a sin. You can't. Stop it. Jesus does that. You can't. But you can walk with them. And you can show them where the fish ladder is. You can show them the steps, the next little step they can take. That's what Paul's inviting us into, to carry each other's burdens, to, to help carry. Uh, that word isn't to just carry it for, it's to carry with. Okay, very important.
The next part is don't think so highly of yourself. Um, my uncle used to say, that guy thinks he's all that and a bag of chips. And I have no idea where that came from, but that was his little statement that we really think a lot of ourselves. If you look back at what Romans said, Paul has a very low view of himself. Don't, don't work on how great you are. No, stop it. We're in an age and when we talk a lot about our self-esteem and, and you know, work on your self-esteem. Um, no. Work on your realism, not your narcissism. Your realism. Be real. Understand who you really are. Paul understands his place. He has a low view of himself, not a high view of himself. He has a high view of God, and he knows that God rescues him. Don't let that lead you to depression and darkness. That's not God's space either. Don't think highly of yourself. Don't think you're all that in a bag of chips, but don't think that you're nothing, because in Christ you are everything. And then stop comparing. You know, the church on the left is the one that I thought I would build, and the church on the right is the kind of the one that, you know, in the end I thought maybe God would actually do, right? Like we do this comparison thing. We're always looking to compare. Stop it. It's not helpful. It doesn't help you, and it doesn't help the other person. Comparison is pride, not humility. Stop comparing yourself to others. I won, I lost, I'm better, I'm worse. Don't do it. Don't. Don't. And then carry your own load. Paul says to carry each other's loads and to help with that, but he also says that we're to carry our own load. I love that picture, right? Carry your own load. <laughs> that guy's smoking a cigarette and his wife is carrying a load, right? Um, it's, but we're called to do that. As much as it is in you, carry your own burdens. Carry those things. Carry them before Christ. There's a variety. There's different capacity, different need, and all kinds of brokenness in us. But we're called to be responsible for ourselves, to be responsible for our walk with, with God. Scripture says to work out your own faith, like to work that out. And that's, there's an individual stuff part of that too. It's not just the collective, it's your individual stuff. Want to wrap it up, Eric? Mm. So tonight is, I think, uh, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit sort of help you sort things out. Um, but I think that the thing that I would like us to hold on to as we step into communion, and as we step into singing, and as we step on into to eating together, is that the place where freedom is, is in God's community. And the place where people are burdened and wrestling with their burdens is in God's community. And so I guess what I would ask is tonight, as you sit and talk with people, um, ask the, you know, look, 
Look around. If you're the one who's burdened, then say, hey, like I'm caught. Like I am the one feeling hopeless. If you're in a place where you're walking with the Holy Spirit, you feel rooted right now in your freedom, then look around and say, okay, who, who can I speak freedom to? Who can I offer grace to? Who can I walk alongside and help them carry their burden? So I'll offer that. Let's pray.